0: Hype with Depression, the podcast. It's never out of laziness, it's pure dread for the day ahead. An ongoing battle which constantly waits at my feet. The same one as yesterday, I crawled my way through to defeat. My only escapism I encounter is when I'm sleeping, yet so often I still feel the depression creep in.
1: We want to share first hand accounts, learnings, solutions, the latest knowledge, and therapies available. Because right now, if you're stuck in the dark tunnel of depression, you need a guiding light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what we're going to give to you.
0: Mental health matters a lot. It is really important to me that people do know that recovery is possible. I can occasionally be persuaded to venture for a walk, but I pray I don't bump into anyone and have to talk. Sometimes I catch familiar faces I haven't seen in a while, but I never set loose of the truth. I just stand there and smile. I do wonder if they can ever tell. But then again, I know my mask hides me well. A lot of people have felt so low for so long that they think that that's how their life should be.
1: And interestingly, they they probably think that's how life is for everybody. Yes. Because we tend to generalise our experience. We tend to think, if I feel this way, the world is this way. Yes.
0: I am me again. I love me. I love my heart now and I love living. I love and enjoy everything about me. I feel good about myself and I have the courage to share with other people my experience, especially when they seek advice or ask me how I managed to get out. The more I shared, the stronger I have become and more empowered. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I feel like I won a huge battle for myself. I defeated depression. It has nothing on me. I'm happy. I think there is still a lot of negativity around mental illness. For many people, depression, sadness, low mood, can become part of their identity, who they are. For some, it can be quite hard to think that that perhaps isn't the best version of them.
1: You're very into acting and drama and all that sort of thing. That's been a real key part of your recovery, hasn't it? From your challenges.
0: Oh yeah, that was kind of, I always say mental illness doesn't have a drug, but for me, that was my drug. That was what drove me to get better. Let a bully into a, into your house, so why would you let them into your head? Exactly. And it's that, it's realising you're not the illness, it's an illness.
1: And mm, it's, it's not you. Yes. It's not you, it's not your identity, it's not yes. who you really are. Is there hope with depression?
0: There's big, 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 big hope with depression. There is
1: joy beyond depression. Oh, I like that.
0: After their session, uh, oh my god! And then I get, I get, um, I get an email two days later. Oh, I just feel like the heaviness is lifted. I feel like I've got a new lease of life. I feel like I've got my energy back. I feel like I've got my zest back. And that can be after one session. It was so heartwarming to say. I was completely depressed, and five minutes later there is no sign of that depression in my body, in my life, in my mind, in my thoughts, anywhere. And you come into the joy of you, so you just actually feel happy for no reason. That joy, that happiness is the real you, yeah, our natural state is joy.
2: You know, this is is called uh, putting your money where your mouth is. You don't know what you're going to get. They asked me to do the brain maps on some people who were having bars done.
0: I mean, I was blown away. It takes a lot to blow me away. This blew me away. Anyone listening always remember that recovery is possible. My family and me are proof of
2: that. How does it get any better than this?
0: with depression the podcast
1: katherine kell welcome to the hope with depression podcast thank you so much for being on
3: thank you for having me here
1: it's it's an absolute joy and you're going to talk to us today about oh this is the buzzword the word that's on everybody's lips the m word mindfulness
3: i wondered what word you were going to say there. (laughs) it
1: could be many couldn't it it
3: could be many yeah mindfulness i am a mindfulness teacher um, amongst other bits and bobs, but yeah, um, here to talk to you a bit about that.
1: I want to know how you got how how you got into it because everyone's got their story. All the stories are relevant, all are helpful, and all are equally fascinating. What's yours?
3: Well, actually, it uh, started for me back in two thousand and six. I went into hospital for a hip replacement. Nobody was maybe expecting that Um, and I was really excited about this operation because I'd had hip um, surgery as a child and it had been an ongoing issue in my life so getting it taken out and a new bit put in was was exciting but unfortunately it went really badly wrong Um, and I uh, suffered Hugely as a result, um, not just physically but mentally too. Good God. Um, So an artery was left open in my leg <gasps> and um, for a few days things were a bit touch and go and um, yeah, I had, I had experiences in that time that changed the shape of my life basically and I survived it and I'm really lucky that I did um, but there was a long physical uh, recovery afterwards because the nerve damage through my right leg was so severe. Um, so it wasn't certain that I would walk properly again, or that I would ever come out of this acute nerve pain. You know the kind of pain you get in your teeth. You know, oh. a kind of, it was like that round the clock, but down my whole leg. I mean, it was just. Good God. Really horrendous. Um, so it really started off as a kind of physical journey, but very quickly I developed high-range PTSD because my experiences in hospital had been so traumatic. Um, and then as I realized that my life had changed, you know, a complete 360, it was just horrendous. I developed um, what they said was clinical depression. Um, I don't get massively hung up on diagnoses, actually. I think everyone is unique um, and it's hard to label things specifically. But um, there was d- clinical depression there. I was highly anxious. I was bedbound, I was in the house. I needed 24-hour care. Um, And I was 31 years old, and it was just um, a real shock to the system in so many ways. And it actually took years to recover from that. Um, But initially, I was offered um, kind of traditional talking therapies and psychological interventions and stuff, um, and nothing was really shifting for me. And it was when mindfulness came up as a possibility that it gave me something to, rather than just feeling that I was talking things through. It gave me a, a resource that I could use myself day by day in different ways. Because I've heard um, this
1: about mindfulness. I think mm-hmm. I, read, I think it was Jon Kabat-Zinn that wrote about it. And he, and he talks about, um, they were talking to someone who had chronic pain. And it doesn't mm-hmm. exactly take the pain away, but it recontextualizes it. Is that the best word I can find? And it does help with pain, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, for me, I'm more using it as a route through the negative thoughts and yeah. um, the rumination and the, the anger, actually, yeah. and the frustration, the resentment, you know, the, the all of it, issues, yeah. All of the really, really negative. Well, I and I, I just felt in, I was in such a bad place. I mean, truly, it was it, it was rock bottom. Um, and, you, you know, for, so for me, it was more about finding a way to be with those feelings rather than get completely caught up in them Um, and mindfulness just opened it was like a little door opened and there was that little chink of light and I could mm -hmm. suddenly see something I was like okay and and maybe that's that's a me thing because I like to have something that I could do and and actually being able to do something helped me as well because I felt less hopeless somehow and as we know hope is is a huge part of the healing process absolutely believing that there is a way through and that recovery is possible
1: how are you now by the way let's just jump to a happy bit
3: oh jump to a happy bit i'm good well you know that was in 2006 2007 by the time i got to about 2010 i would say that you know physically i was walking walking down the road no one would notice i still have to think very hard about the placement of my leg and stuff Um, but other people wouldn't notice that
1: and the nerve pain's Um, better
3: Yeah. um, I I mean, and it's quite miraculous, actually, the recovery that I've had. But, you know, I I put a lot of effort into it.
1: And do you think Um, mindfulness helped?
3: It did massively help. It massively helped because it allowed me to bring myself for however many minutes a day and really just a few minutes a day can make a huge difference and that's been proven scientifically, you know, looking at the brain and stuff. But Mm. just for those few minutes a day, being able to bring myself into the present moment, which is really what mindfulness is. It's about being present with what is. And I was able to create some space between myself and those thoughts, which actually were not facts. You know, so much of what I was thinking about was just not even real and not facts. I was caught up in in that spiral and just creating that bit of space gave me just such a leap forward and I built on it. I've seen anybody. the brain
1: scans I and mean, when I've seen 8 weeks of simple practice and the, oh, yeah. and the happiness centers you know light up in the brain regardless of what's going on outside I and mean, I find it fascinating that we're in these days and times when these things can be measured mm. uh, which is you know the brilliant you know advances in science and neuroscience and first of all I'm so glad that you're in you know a much much better place mm-hmm. um, for the benefit of people listening how can something that's a mental process help with you physically um, how does that work well I
3: think well the mind body connection is Huge. And that's yeah. another massive area of science, which I'm so excited about. Over these last years, it's been becoming, um, you know, the research around that is, is becoming all more and more... S-
1: psychoneuroimmunology and all that.
3: Yeah, I just think, you know, so much. We, we, we've often, until reasonably recently, in human terms, we've thought of the mind as being something very separate from the body. But the mind-body connection is huge. Quite the and,
2: opposite, yeah.
3: Yeah, and, you know, at a cellular level, we can, you know, we can really... Um, affect our well-being by the way that we're thinking um, whether that's negatively or whether we're thinking in a more helpful way um, towards ourselves so I'm not an expert on how it may um, work alongside with pain you know as I said I was using it more as a route through the 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 kind of depression and the thinking I've heard very good stories of people with
1: pain actually Mm. Yeah, very much so. I find them very, very plausible. but, um, but, but and this, you know, ties into the subject of our podcast because obviously, I mean, a situation like that would depress most people. But it gave you a pathway through.
3: Yeah, it did. And I just think, in st- you know, it's it's about it was the non-judgmental part that really helped me. You know, it, being present with, with what is and noticing the thoughts come and go and letting the thoughts go without getting attached to them or without over-identifying with them. And without actually judging them, because sometimes I was feeling so angry and so, you know, hacked off with it all. Um, but I was able to kind of be compassionate about that and not um, become overly at- attached to each thought. Yeah. Um, so that was the, the beginning of
2: yeah. pulling
3: me through. And, you know, and then I went on to study it and to, to qualify in it and to teach it. And, um, you know, it, obviously it's been a hugely life-changing event for me. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of my teaching, the fact that I have suffered uh, in that way um, makes me more accessible to, you know, people who are in that place.
1: Themselves. Yeah. And, the, and there's many of them. People are just desperate for, a, for a, you know, for anything that, that, that will help. Well, the um,
3: statistics around depression now are, oh, it's are, hideous. are huge. Absolutely um, hideous. And different things work for different people. So it's really great what you're doing on this podcast because you're, you're shining a spotlight on lots of different things. Absolutely, that people might be able to access or try out something which might be for useful. For sure,
1: you know, if I can help one person to find, you know, one step towards something better, I'm I'm absolutely delighted. I'd like to explore mindfulness a little bit more and how it mm. works in just a moment. But you would certainly recommend it for for depression, big time.
3: Yeah, I mean, I always say, with people have come to me in the past and they've, they've said that, <coughs> excuse me, that they're depressed, I always say, look, you know, check in with your GP. I think that's really important. that your GP knows what's going on and. You know, you can talk to your GP about mindfulness and doing a mindfulness course somewhere. And there's lots of mindfulness courses around the whole country, around the world. So it is an accessible thing. Um, and, you know, there's usually you can get a hold of ones that are free as well or run through GP practices. Sometimes they offer mm. that kind of thing too. Yeah, I've seen and that. So I always say, you know, check that out first. Check that they're happy that you attend a mindfulness course or work with someone one-to-one on mindfulness that it, in a complementary way mm. to whatever else you're doing. Um, and then, as long as that's kind of got the, the green light, then um, I would be happy to work with people um, can, can and I take some... them through really quite a structured mm. um, um, process, quite a structured course.
1: Can I ask something? Because <laughs> one of the <laughs> symptoms of depression is, like you had, rumination—it's round and round and yeah. round and round, like a non-stop sort of washing machine. And then sometimes people think, right, I should think more positively, but when they can't, mm. <laughs> it sort of makes it even worse so what I'm, what I'm asking is if you do the mindfulness practice and just observe the thoughts as they come and mm. go will you kind of naturally rise back up to the surface as it were to positivity just by allowing the negativity to be rather than trying to fight it or change it is what i'm asking yeah
3: i mean that's that's perfect what you just said there rather than trying to fight it or change it. i do it. my best um oh very good 10 out of 10 thanks <laughs> um but yes it it it, there's two kind of things there. First of all, I think, well, it's certainly the way I teach mindfulness and meditation practices is that we shouldn't be striving for anything. As soon as we're striving for something, we're putting loads of extra pressure on ourselves mm. to have to fix ourselves somehow or to have to um, kind of make things better in that moment. So I always say let go. Let go of all the striving you know, and, and let go even of it having to be a huge undertaking every day that you can't stay on top of. So small promises to ourselves, like just a couple of minutes a day, something that we, we can build a habit that we don't, won't break. Does that make sense? Yes. We just yes. use little bits every day. And then in terms of the practice itself, like you said, it's that, um, the, the kind of letting go of it. So sometimes, you know, I've worked with a lot of teenagers as well and young mm. people, and mm. when I've gone into schools to teach this, the analogy that we use is like a bus, that you're standing at a bus stop, and imagine the thoughts are like, a bus coming. Mm. So, what the idea of the mindfulness practice in this analogy is to stay at the bus stop, so you don't get on the bus. Yeah. So, if the bus, the anger bus comes along, you can acknowledge that it's an angry thought, or that you're you're feeling angry about something, and you can acknowledge that without any judgment, because it is what it is. We're not trying to bash it down. It's not mm. like whack a mole saying, Oh, you know, I don't have that thought. I don't <laughs> have that thought. We'd
1: we'll be whacking moles all day. It,
3: yeah. Um, so, it, but it's a case of acknowledging it. And, but just not, letting, not getting on the bus. You stay at the bus stop.
1: And oh, then I'm, the worry
3: thought comes along. Yeah, oh, I and you acknowledge that it. Oh, I'm worrying. I'm worrying, that's that worry thought again, I'm I worrying love about that. that again. I love that, but, but it okay. gives you a
1: certain detachment, because it's like yeah. that sort of zen type question, who's the one doing the watching of it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, it, it, ooh, it goes a bit but to you a don't level. don't get
3: on the bus, just don't get on just the bus.
1: Don't, just don't get on the bus?
3: Mm-hmm. And with adults, you know, we talk about clouds passing in the sky, or imagine, imagining leaves in the river, you know, floating by. Mm. Um, the, the thoughts let them float on by, but it's not about pushing them away, acknowledging them is part of the, the practice. Now, going so going The to young people bit. like the bus. Yes. It's, it's a kind of clear way to explain it. I,
1: sorry, I talked over there by mistake. Could you just say that again? Young people like the bus.
3: <laughs> the idea of staying at the bus stop, I mean, rather than jumping on the bus. So if the bus was the thought, you're letting it just
1: drive mm. past.
3: You're not getting that. not your bus.
1: And and young um, people prefer that analogy.
3: Yeah, I think so. I just think because it's a bit more fun, isn't it? It's more mm. accessible. It's a routine. Um, and then the, the practice of mindfulness, just to finish what it actually is, is the coming back to the present moment again and again or coming, coming back. So a thought will happen. You might engage slightly with that thought, but then you just come back. And what you're kind of coming back to is either the breath, which you're using to stay present with, or a sensation in your body, you know, your feet touching the floor or your bottom touching the chair um, or your breath coming in and out, something like that. And every time a thought comes, you can acknowledge that thought non-judgmentally And you can just let that thought pass and bring your attention back to the breath. And it's kind of like an attention training exercise in some way. Mm. Training your attention, the spotlight of your attention. Because I really believe in life, where we place our attention has a massive effect on on our well-being and on our mental health. You know, where we're placing our attention. So if for a few minutes a day we can place our attention on our breath, on our body sensations Mm. and just let the thoughts come Mm. let the thoughts go and the Mm. practice is Mm. coming back to the breath coming back Mm. to the body again Mm. and again Again and again and And it doesn't and there's no mistake there's no striving there's no mistake you can make you just keep coming back that's the practice and
1: no judgement
3: because no, that's so
1: important, because sometimes people, if they're depressed, they're judging themselves for having, oh, a nice person wouldn't think thoughts like that, a nice mm-hmm. person would never be resentful, I must be so awful, but but all of that just comes under, yep, yeah, that's the self-judgment thought, let it yep. go, don't get on the bus.
3: I'm criticising myself again, yeah. I'll let that one go, you know, it, all, all of it, is, you know, and we're human and we're imperfect, but there is no perfect, um, and that's a huge part of my... Teaching as well, certainly in the kind of compassion work that I do, as well, and the self-compassion work. You know, we're not striving to be perfect because there isn't a perfect. We are human, and humans are messy, (laughs) (laughs) and humans have stuff, and it's it's about managing our relationship with that stuff. So it's about managing our relationship with our thinking, not trying to get freedom from thinking. We can't stop our thinking. There is no freedom from thinking. There may be a man on a mountain somewhere who's mastered that but for most of us there isn't freedom from thinking you know no. we, we think we have thoughts and well, some of my... our thoughts are really valuable and we need to well, act yeah. on well, them well and
1: also it's what minds do isn't it yeah. it's like it's like saying to a nose don't try to stop your nose breathing it's, it's the nature yeah. of a mind to think um i want to come on to this self-compassion work that you're talking about because mm. that sounds wonderful just one more little thing on mindfulness um you talk about being with it rather than trying to run up Run! Aw- can speak. Run away from it. Mm. So if you have a painful thought or feeling or sensation come up, the trick is to turn towards it rather than try and yeah. resist it and run away.
3: That's a better phrase. Turn towards, which is a- another one of my favourites. It's like you read my mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do
1: well. I do my best.
3: <laughs> yeah, turning the towards. The lesson on being psychic know. is next week. <laughs> <laughs> turning towards. Yeah, I mean, turning towards um, can you can think of it in a light way as being curious. So just being curious with what comes up. Um, and again, knowing that you don't need to attach yourself to any of it allows you to be curious. So if you actually literally think of a torch shining its its spotlight on a thought, you're just you're just being turning towards it, being curious um, in a heavier way. Sometimes turning towards requires a lot of courage, you know, and it's a really courageous thing to do to turn towards ourselves. It's um, easier in a lot of ways to stuff it all down and to try and ignore it, but in that sense, we're not moving ourselves forward there's that um, phrase isn't there you've got to feel it to heal it um so you know actually recognizing our pain and our suffering is the first step in in knowing that we need to do something about it so there's that acknowledgement that we need to have first so turning towards it is really important
1: yeah, really good. And does that, and I suppose that would tie in quite nicely for the self-compassion idea.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so, mindfulness, actually, is the foundation of self-compassion. Tell, so, tell us a bit about that, then. So I teach something called mindful self-compassion, mindfulness-based self-compassion. Um, so the mindfulness part is what I just said, really. That's the acknowledging um, that we are suffering. You know, acknowledging and suffering sounds like quite a um, potent word, but, you know, that can range from from something that, we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, like exhaustion or just being tired, um, to, you know, all levels of difficulty and challenge um, to, to the to the very most difficult stuff. And the thing is, everyone suffers. Every human being suffers. It's not dished out evenly, is it? <laughs> um, a lot of people suffer a lot more than others, but everybody knows the feelings of guilt and shame and anger, anger and, and humiliation and embarrassment and exhaustion and... Here, you know, we're human again and we feel all of these things. So um, noticing our suffering is the first thing. And then when we're self-compassionate, basically, we are um, treating ourselves the way we treat a really good friend is one of the nicest ways to to um, describe it. So we're really just offering ourselves the support and understanding that we, that we need. It's a self-kindness exercise, really. So we're just taking action to alleviate our suffering. Um, and also the other really important part of self-compassion is, is recognising that we're not alone. Um, so there's a common humanity kind of element, a shared human experience. You know, we, we, everyone can feel these feelings. And that, you know, is really important with depression as well. I think because it's very isolating sometimes, and you feel like you are the only one.
1: I completely agree. That, that was mm. I've, got, I've got two. You know, the foot i I've got two visions intentions with this podcast, and the, the first one was help people to know they're not alone because mm. it, it feels so damn isolating. Oh god! Yeah. And there's so many people. There's this massive amount of people, millions, and millions of people, millions, so many millions. You could never be alone again. Who all feel alone? I mean, it's the irony of mm-hmm. ironies, isn't it?
3: absolutely is and to think that we can be really locked in with that suffering is I know. so horrendous and you know it is a really isolating feeling but the, the, that was one of my big paths as well so the reason I got into self-compassion work was because the, the non-judgmental kind of compassionate kind element of mindfulness really resonated with me and again really pulled me out of, of a very dark place um and and then once i started studying and working with self compassion and training and that it was the common humanity thing actually that oh, really like resonated that. because no, i, just I really felt like, that, like because it's
1: true you yeah. know and if if we could treat people as as uh, extensions of ourselves i guess mm. um you know it's we would i suppose lose that oh, sense of separation i suppose from yeah. and, and, and all that
3: absolutely and yeah. it is, now it is still my biggest route into self compassion like yesterday for example I was absolutely feeling so burnt out. You know, I just had, over the last couple of months, both my children have been ill loads. Oh I've been up in the night constantly. I think I went about seven weeks where I had one night's sleep that oh wasn't interrupted by one of the kids or something. And oh, I my just, goodness. I know. And I just got to this point where I'm in my job, obviously. I, I work with people. I care for people. Mm. Um, and, and I'm doing this kind of work. And I got to the point yesterday where I was like, whoa, Catherine, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're close to just not having anything in the tank. So I just literally was able to access the common humanity thing. You're not alone. There are parents all over the world um, who are struggling with illness, with their children being unwell, with lack of sleep, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, And, you know, in in that sense of the common humanity, it's not about feeling, well, other people have it worse or other people have it better. It's just a non-judgmental, I'm not alone Um, and then I was able to work out take the action like what do I need right now I need to comfort myself I need to be kind to myself what action can I take
2: Mm. how can
3: I alleviate my suffering if that makes sense Mm. and I was able just to clear a couple of things out of the diary get the kids to bed and go to bed (laughs) Um, and (laughs) get some sleep Um, but that's a very simple example but as a route into self compassion remembering that we're not alone is very important I think
1: I really like that. I, l- I love the sound of your work. Do you want to give us a quick demo? A little, little mindful demo?
3: Yeah, just of mindfulness. Yeah, if you come like on something. Then. So, um, yeah, let me just think how I'd like to do it. I need to ask you first, if you're going to be doing this, um, if you'd like to focus on the breath or if you'd like to focus on a body sensation like your feet on the floor or something. What I don't mean?
1: mind. Well, let's do the breath.
3: Let's do the breath. So for anyone listening um, to this, if you're not comfortable focusing on your breath for any reason, and a lot of people well, not a lot, but there are people who for previous past reasons are not comfortable focusing on the breath, then you can just listen along to this. You don't need to join in. Or you can substitute your breathing for um, feeling your feet on the floor or mm. the sensations of your feet inside your socks or inside your shoes or something mm. like that. But I, just for anyone listening, I don't want anyone to kind of start focusing on their breath if it's likely to make them feel anxious or panic or something. So um, that's always the caveat. Um, so, yeah, just a very quick, let's just do a one-minute kind oh. of, Um, just a stop and kind of be minute of mindfulness um, I'd invite you to just let your eyes gently close if you're comfortable doing so and to add a little self-compassion or compassion heart feeling element to this if you just put one hand over your heart it can really amplify those feelings of being kind to yourself and just offering yourself something the heart space is really powerful More powerful than the mind, they they now say. So it's really lovely to connect with that part of the body. And just with your hand there, take a lovely breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. And what's good to do on the breath out is to try and elongate the out breath. That really activates our parasympathetic nervous system, so that kind of rest and digest system, calming the body another couple of breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth and another one and what I'd like you to do now eyes closed, hands still on the heart is just internally, focus on that breath, the rise and fall of the breath in the body. So as you breathe in through the nose, you might feel it coming in through the nostrils. You might feel the breath in the back of your throat. And on the way out, now through the nostrils, this time it might feel warmer on the way out, just looking for those sensations in the breath. Some people like to explore the the point in the breath when you've breathed in, There's just that moment before you breathe out, the turn of the breath, that gap. Just bringing your mind's attention to that. And if you are using the feet on the floor, just bringing your mind's attention, shining that spotlight of your attention down into the feet and the sensations there. Coming back to the breath, the practice here really is just as you're focusing on that breath coming in and out, Perhaps you feel the rise and fall of your chest. Perhaps you feel your abdomen moving in and out. Just continuing to focus present moment awareness on those sensations. And if the mind wanders, which it will, because that's what minds do, just acknowledge the thought, acknowledge your mind has wandered, and bring your focus gently back to the breath every time. mind wanders non-judgment just notice acknowledge it's wandered and bring the focus back to the breath shining the spotlight of your attention on any of the sensations around the breath that's simple yeah yeah and then whenever you're ready you just open your eyes and you Mm -hmm. know that you can do that for like a couple of minutes in the morning And it's just a way of building up those neural pathways in your brain to to something different. Um, And I also teach a lot of informal mindfulness, because I think some people, if they're not comfortable just sitting, you know, or or doing that kind of thing, we can do mindfulness when we're washing the dishes. We can do it when we're out walking. We can, you know, noticing our body moving when we walk or noticing the washing of the dishes, the, the water on your hands and Um, there's lots of informal ways to do it. One of my favourites is in the shower and I wash my hair, just really taking a minute as I'm rubbing in the shampoo to notice the feeling of my fingers on my scalp, to notice the foam building in the shampoo and just being present moment aware for those minutes is really, really helpful to the brain. So I don't like people, I don't want people to feel like they've got to just sit and you know, on a cushion or something, because mm. actually we can use mindfulness in lots of different ways. I use it a lot with parenting, for example. <laughs> you know, when I'm, when I'm um, becoming impatient, <laughs> mm. you know, I have to tune in and just lock into my body a little bit and breathe for a few moments.
1: Wow. Uh, it's, it sounds like it's made a massive difference to your life, just this simple, simple practice. Mm. But, it, but don't be deceived by the simplicity, I guess.
3: Absolutely. Oh, again, nail on the head aren't you good? <laughs> Have you been studying?
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe a little.
3: Um, but it is a really simple practice. If you break it down, the, the actual thing that we're doing is a, is a simple thing, but it's difficult. Um, and so it's that kind of duality there where the, the, the instruction can be quite simple, but it is a difficult thing to do a lot of the time. And it's a difficult thing to kind of build as a habit. So, That's why courses are generally eight weeks long or something, you know, to give you the time to really work through it and embed it in so that it becomes a way of life. Because mindfulness for me is, you know, it's a kind of mindset, it's a way of life, mindful living. You know, we are um, building a capacity for our present moment awareness, whereas meditation is kind of a path to get to that, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, I see, yeah. (laughs)
3: <laughs> meditations like the training for it, I suppose it grows our ability to be mindful mm. um, whereas mindfulness is the the practice and more a way of life in some ways, yeah.
1: I mean they've done some must, m- wonderful work with mindfulness and depression haven't they? I think there's a book called The Mindful Way Through Depression, I'm sure there is.
3: Yeah, there's loads of good books, actually one of the ones um, that I found really helpful, um, I don't I can't remember when it was brought out but Um, it's Mark Williams and Danny Penman. I love that book. The big green one, yeah. Yeah, the green one. Oh, I love that book. It's Finding Peace in a frantic World, or something it's called, and that's like readily available on Amazon or whatever, and it's a really great way in for people. Oh, yeah. I think it used to come with a CD. I don't know if... CDs even exist anymore, do they? I
1: don't know. There's <laughs> probably some download now. <laughs> there probably is. But yeah. It's, yeah it's and have you listened to Mark Williams' talk? Have you heard, heard, heard yeah, him do his I talks? Have. Oh, he's fantastic, i he? conferences
3: and stuff where he's been speaking. He's
1: wonderful, isn't he? Yeah,
3: you just want to put your hands up in the air and kind of be a fan.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, where can people find you if they'd like to learn more about this? Because this, people is, this can find so much value. Where, where, where's your online home?
3: So on Instagram I am, and my handle is at self-compassion community
2: mm-hmm.
3: um so i post there most days about mindfulness emotional well-being and obviously self-compassion and mm. compassion for other people mm. um i also focus on compassion fatigue a fair bit so for people who are looking after others who are oh, struggling which is really important that's as well
1: huge i've heard that term recently compassion fatigue because because yeah. that, that is a thing
3: it is a massive it, thing. that
1: is a thing you and know for
3: caregivers and i know that, oh you know, yeah that, it, with depression as well, if someone in your family, your child, a parent, a friend, is is suffering, you know, knowing how to look after yourself in order to be most useful and helpful to the person who's suffering is is huge as well. Well, so, I always
1: say that you can't give from an empty cup, no matter how well intentioned you, know, you
3: are. You can't. There's only so long you can show up for other people unless you're showing up for yourself as well. So self compassion is huge, mm. and self compassion and compassion are like a circle; they complete each other. Um, they're both really transformative in terms of our healing um, with the mindfulness brought in, obviously, so that we recognize where we need it. <coughs> but um, they they are really important when you're caregiving. It's really important in order to be compassionate to someone else. We have to have to stoke our own fire as well. So mm-hmm. self-compassion community mm-hmm. is where I'm at. And then... Um, my The website for that is selfcompassioncommunity.com, mm-hmm. and I'm going to launch sometime um, in 2020 a kind of membership community because working with me one-to-one is not always affordable for everyone, and I want to work with people in, a, in an affordable way, and I want to work with people anywhere in the world so that it doesn't matter where they are, um, so I'm going to develop a membership kind of community where it's a, a, an amount per month. Yeah. Um, and then each month we'll talk about different topics and emotions and um, issues oh, what and a how wonderful. to apply mindfulness and self-compassion oh, what, to a, won- what a
1: wonderful vision uh, let, you know, let me know when you when you do
3: yeah do. i'm
1: sure i'll be doing podcasts of some sort then so we'll have to have you on again and uh,
3: <laughs> yeah. i love it
1: uh, brilliant so um instagram what was it again
3: at self-compassion community and the website Selfcompassioncommunity.com. Yay! Yay!
1: <laughs> uh, Catherine Kell, uh, just one more final question. Yes. Be- before mindfulness, before you knew any of this stuff, your average level, level of happiness before mindfulness, what was it like then?
3: Um, before the hip thing happened, mm. things were pretty good. Mm. Um, but in 2006, when the hip surgery went wrong, I was um, zero. I was absolutely rock bottom to the point where I didn't know if I'd see the next day.
1: Good God. And um, now?
3: So now, oh, I- I'm just, I'm, a, I'm human. So I have great days, and I have days where sometimes things are challenging. But the difference is, I have a toolkit. So I have the resources. Like I said yesterday, when I was struggling, I just I know what to do to keep myself well mm. and to keep myself healthy, and to ensure that I can do the work that I do in the most loving, heartful way. Oh,
2: um,
3: and but also to be able to offer myself that too. So yeah, things things are things are good, mm. but it doesn't come without effort and practice. You mm. build resilience with these tools, I think, and yep.
1: inner strength. Yeah, brilliant. Catherine Kell, it's been absolutely um, inspiring talking to you. Thank you so much for being on our Hope With Depression podcast. Thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing. And please keep us in keep keep us in the loop with anything that you do.
2: Oh,
3: likewise. It's been my absolute pleasure. I've loved Thank talking you. to you. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Thank you. Catherine
0: Kell. Thank you. Next time on Hope With Depression, the podcast.
3: And it's really thing I like about heart math is it doesn't really require any thinking. It, it's not difficult. It's just about, you know, regulating your breathing to start with. It, at its very most straightforward level, it's about, you know, looking at your heart focused breathing to get your body back on some
1: sort of even keel. Shall we try do do you, you wanna try it? Do you want to try it live? Live on the show. A bit of heart math? Um, well we can do. Would you would you would you like to? See, see if you see if you can soothe my cynical black heart.
0: Hope <laughs> with depression, the podcast.